This is Tony Todd, and you're listening to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Be, be, be happy. Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomus Vene. Hot toddy. Good to be with you again for another installment of the Monster Mash. You know the format. You know what we do. We each picked a film. I chose a little movie called Madman. Professor, what did you do? Madman or Mad Max? Uh, Madman? I watched (laughs) Mad Max. (laughs) Shit. Uh, I picked Hell Knight. Okay. I picked Christine. I picked Deep Star Six. Deep Star Six. And that will be the first film we start with this evening. Deep Star Six. Can you give me the dates, details, and why you chose that one? Uh, 1989. Uh, from a little director known as Sean S. Cunningham. I've heard of him. Richie's cousin. Um, music done by Harry Friendini. Who also did uh, pretty much most of Sean's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, cast is Greg Evergan, Ever, whatever his name is. The hottie from BJ and the Bear, My oh, Two yeah, Dads. Yeah. Both non-gay shows, by the way. <laughs> uh, Arguable. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Nia Peoples, Miguel Ferrier. Um... Matt McCoy from Police Academy fame. And uh, Tom Bray from Prince of Darkness and Prowler. And then um, I don't think he did special effects. I think he just came in with help with the creature. It was Chris Wallace who went on to direct and do the makeup effects for Fly 2. He also did Gremlins. Hmm. Um, the This movie was made for $8 million And it made $8 million. And it was also the first. It was the first of three movies with pretty much the same plot, nineteen eighty nine. So it came out right before Leviathan and the Abyss. And this is actually one of James Cameron's friends, who James Cameron was kind of ticked that he knew he was working on the Abyss, and he went and rushed this movie to come out. Yeah, the Abyss's uh, production was plagued, so everyone knew what he was making. Yeah, and so all these movies were raced into production to beat it out. It I think this, there were five, four or five total for the year. Yeah, because the, the deep, the deep also came out. I think the same time period. Yeah. And it was this whole trend of doing movies underwater that used to be space movie plots. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like oh, we're not in outer space; we're in the ocean. Which, if you think there's there's a lot of uh, like we we always Pop explore trails. space, but there's a lot of stuff we don't know on our own planet. You don't know. I know all about it. (laughs) So, uh, what's the synopsis? It's aliens underwater. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, It's a, a, I believe they're a naval base or working for the Navy. And uh, really not quite sure why they're there, to be honest. They're like testing underwater colonization. It's like an experimental group. But they, they, they hit a snag inside a cave and decide just to blow it up. Yeah, which, by the way, why does an experimental group testing colonization have missiles? Because it's, <laughs> it's the U.S. Army. Because this is America. They're like, also, take some shotguns in there with you. <laughs> yeah, just like our Space Force that will be coming soon. Take a space. Little space. Uh, so they, they blow up a, a, a cave, and which unleashes a creature. And eventually the creature gets inside their, their vessel. Um. But essentially, it's aliens underwater. Pretty much. Or tremors. 
was before Tremors. Same premise. <laughs> same, same bit of difference. Maybe this is the prequel to Tremors. All right, initial thoughts, uh, Professor. We're like Deep Star sucks. Just kidding. Uh, I I'd never seen this. This was a first time watch for me. I was familiar with the name. Um, I didn't think it was bad or good. I just I honestly, it's kind of forgettable unless you you are really into deep sea terror. Then it's cool to you know chalk up in your list and and watch along. Side a lot of the other films with that. I, I found it more interesting the relationship to when uh, the Titanic exploration happened a few years before that with Alvin, right? And how this probably would have been more appealing in 1989 uh, to bring in that aspect because that shit blew everybody's mind, myself included. I can remember yeah. being like five, six years old, and being like, "Holy smokes, they're going down to the Titanic with this camera!" And so you got kind of some of that going on in there. And that's an interesting parallel to like when they made all the mummy movies around when they found King Tut's right. too. So like a, a take like sort a of big historical event, kind of turn it into fiction and yeah. spawn off with ideas. Um, I, I, you know, for a fairly limited budget, I thought that the creature design wasn't horrible yeah. until it moved, but it looked cool. Um, I thought that they had a pretty decent cast. I thought the music as with any undersea horror movie was great. Like, the movie made it feel way more expensive than it was. Um, but, yeah, I, I was kind of just indifferent on it. I didn't have a bad time with it, but, I, you know, in fairness, I'm the same way with Leviathan. I've seen that before. It, yeah, it didn't rock my world, it, the rift. I mean, it's just, you know, it's okay. Yeah. That was, that was my thoughts. <laughs> I thought it was doo-doo, baby. <laughs> it made me want to fight Todd for picking it. Uh, not really, Todd. Until you see my next pick. I didn't really want to fight you. <laughs> Him don't jealous. hate movies. But uh, I did not like this movie. I did not care for this Surprise. movie. Surprise. Any any aspect of this movie. Nothing? I not, nothing. I thought it was doo-doo. Is it it's like, also the same night we found out that you could make sparks shoot out of the back of my Blu-ray player. <laughs> so your HDMI <laughs> player. Sure is. Yeah. I, I don't have much more I blame, to say about it. I blame Todd for making that happen to my Blu-ray player. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm Todd's done. fired up right now. I'm I'm shocked that you actually had the legit DVD. <laughs> well, I complained that he rented the DVD. He, he complained that it was DVD and not Blu-ray. <laughs> it's not available. There's no Blu-ray. <laughs> okay, so Vinny gets a pass this time. All right. Uh, I saw this in my youth, but I forgot about it because, as Professor said, it is a very forgettable film, just like all of them: Leviathan, Abyss. Rift, all of them, just nothing that really set them apart to make to make you think like, boy, that one is a standalone. It's got its own thing. It's got that unique part to it that makes it its own movie. So, um, the cover art is. I did remember the cover uh, yeah, art from the cover on a on and, video stand and that scene is in the movie. It is, yeah. So it's. Got I that. was. I had actually just complained. I said. I said, is the fucking cover art not even going to be part of this movie? And then finally you see it, and I said, okay, well, I'll give them that. At least it wasn't misleading. Yeah. Uh, but for me, the, the nostalgia around the cover art is better than the movie for me. So, um, I, Well, I picked this because uh, I kind of associate this movie with summer. It came out in January. By the time I saw it, it was like down in our, our dollar cinema, which was summer. Um, so I saw it in the theater. I saw probably years before I saw Leviathan and Abyss. Um, so I think that's probably why this movie to me sticks out a little bit more, but I can't argue that it's, there's not, there's not a lot that sets apart. Um, they were smart about their budget because they did go the route of aliens where they did more of, uh, where you can, you, you see things kind of like, uh, in the root of jaws too, where you see things from the creature's perspective or, or they'll use sounds or like the the sonar to represent where where the creature is. Um, when you do see it, it does look like a vagina with teeth, which <laughs> or just a vagina. Um, Same diff. I don't know. I always thought the acting was good, and um, I enjoy the movie. It's not something that I watch all the time now, but I do find uh, um, occasionally in summer I I whip this one out. 
and watch it. It's not It's not. Um, it definitely does not feel like a, a Sean S. Cunningham film at all. Um, so this is probably a couple years after House. I don't think I, I can't think of a movie he did between House and this one. Uh, and then after that's just kind of when he's like, "Ah, eh, we got to throw some goofy shit out for Jason Voorhees to till we get to Freddy versus Jason." But um, I don't know. I always like this movie. Right on. Yeah, I've disliked movies on this podcast much more than this. Oh, one. I don't oh. want to sound like I'm yeah, passionate. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and, yeah. and and oh, I, I will I will say in defense, it's, to me, it's a good movie. But uh, as a kid, I thought it was more horrific than as now as an adult. It's almost kind of like action adventure ish, um, underwater sci fi. I was gonna say I I did like Cunningham's uh, use of making it almost like a like a stage presence, almost like a sitcom by centralizing these locations where they're at and there and not because at the end of the day, we really don't need the expensive external shots because we're really interested in what's going on with the crew inside. Right. And I'm being perfectly honest here. I thought the acting was actually pretty good um, across the board. I thought uh, Miguel Ferreira stole the picture like he usually does. Miguel Ferreira, always the, a great asshole. Yep. puts everyone in danger in movies. <laughs> yeah, I I thought he was good. I'm being honest here. This is where they lost me, and I couldn't get over it. Was when they ripped. Um, I can't remember his character's name, Matt McCoy. When they take when he's going down to head out, and he gets ripped in half. When they show it, he's bouncing like a comedy. They've got the top half of his his body bouncing like like something we would have made on a home video in high school. Yeah. And that's, I got really frustrated with that. Cause I was just like, man, Sean, I watched you bring the air up through Kevin Bacon's neck. Like you could have filmed this a little better. Oh yeah. Other than that, I'm it was like, a great surprise though. When he got bit. In half. Yeah. No, like, like everything leading up to it, even the gore when they came in close on it was cool, but the way they had him bouncing. Yeah. I was just like, eh. right. but you know, even all the way up to the end, I mean, mm-hmm. for a movie that clearly didn't have an endless budget, I thought they made the best of it. So I don't want to sound like I'm crapping on the movie. It just I've didn't. seen way worse. Yeah, it didn't wow me. I've seen way worse. I, I did enjoy the, the Friday the 13th ending where they, they're on the raft and, mm-hmm. and then the, the little mongoloid baby comes out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last note I have on this movie is, uh, again, as far as actors and actresses, uh, Cindy Pickett was in this, and she was the mom from Polly Shore's son-in-law, and she uh, did a great yeah. job in this film. So that's that's it for me. Any other thoughts on uh, Deep Star Six? Um, I was disappointed that we went an hour and ten minutes before we ever saw the creature. Yeah, I felt like uh, the type of movie it was. I didn't feel that it. I didn't feel it was strong enough or did a good enough job of interesting you in the story to wait that long to pay off with the creature sighting. Let's be honest. You were a little frustrated because it looked like little shop of horrors and you love that movie. I do love little shop of horrors. <laughs> well, uh, and I think that, I think you pointed out a bigger problem. This film couldn't figure out what it wanted to be. Is I it, think that is, is a it problem. going to be a creature feature. Is it going to be an isolation film? Is it going to be? And it's like, it just didn't do any of them very well. I, so. I feel like there was probably a stronger script, but the fact that little budget and that they, flew through production so this was yeah. the first it one feels to come like out. what it is a cash grab yeah well and i felt like with they, music that's way too good the scene yeah. the where uh, the scene where old boy gets in the skate pod and is like decompressing too quickly mm-hmm. it's like it wasn't even a good gore effect for that either you know it's just like I, I don't know i was just disappointed around it felt like every turn i felt like they missed a lot of opportunities they didn't know when james cameron was gonna be done like just <laughs> print it yeah just run it out all right, Deep Star Six. Any final thoughts? Um, if you're really in a underwater terror, put it on your list. If like underwater terror is your jam, and you were at the underwater terror con, then you should watch this one. I'd say it's a good uh, it's a good movie to to pull out during the summer at some point. Right on. When you get that feeling. All right. Moving right along to Vinny's pick, Christine. Who's got dates and details? Uh, Christine, 1983. 
directed by John Carpenter. No, he did a Halloween yeah. for oh, listeners. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of That's him. That's where I've heard his name before. Uh, starring Keith Gordon. He did that thing. Alexandra Paul, John Stockwell, and uh, a very young Kelly Preston is in this movie as well. Okay. You ain't going to mention Harry Dean Stanton. Robert Prosky. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to name the good people. Name, them, name them off if you want. Yeah. Is I, I didn't know I was naming off everybody that was in the movie. Is this bad. also based on Bob or anything? It was only six. This is based off of a Stephen King book. Uh, and why'd you pick it? Uh, it's a favorite of mine uh, since I was a kid. I've always liked this one a lot. I think this is one of the ones that I was allowed to watch. Same here. Very young. Um, on television, of course. Uh the language is fairly coarse because R rating. they wanted the R rating because they didn't think anybody would see it with a PG rating because there wasn't enough violence to really uh, warrant the R rating. So they amped up the cursing to get the R rating, which they caught a lot of flack for at the time. Until mm-hmm. Scarface. Uh, but uh, the special features talk they, about that. They put out – so when it was on television, I would watch a lot. I've always uh, been kind of fascinated with the late 50s, early 60s as well. Um especially cars. I just like the way cars looked back then, but I don't know. It just, this, this movie always grabbed me, always grabbed me. And that's why I picked it. Neat. What a treat. (laughs) Professor opening thoughts. Uh, I think it's probably Carpenter's most underrated film. Um, it's another one like you know Vinny said that um i was i had some exposure to early on it's like a small handful of movies that even if my dad tried to kind of edit some of them for me of things he didn't think i was uh, old enough to watch yet i was he still thought that i would get enough out of them that he he made the effort to let me see them um christine was one of those along with things like american werewolf in london uh the howling ghost story i was allowed to see large chunks of these films uh, just because he thought I'd love him, which he was correct. Uh, and and this is one of them. I can remember sitting and looking at a particular issue of Fangoria, mesmerized with this film before I'd watched it. And I know I've mentioned on the show before, one of my earliest things with horror was looking at Stephen King books. I wasn't old enough to consume them, but I was obsessed with the cover art. Oh, man. And so Christine took it a step further because I got to look at all this stuff from the movie. And, um, yeah, I just – I think it's um, – just classic Carpenter. I mean, we'll go more into what got him there and more about the movie, but just initial thoughts. It's, um, it's great. It's a great movie. Oh, uh, for me, I think I watched it, uh, whatever cable channel premiered it. So we had HBO back in the day. Um, before I saw the movie or maybe after I always thought the cool thing was, um, you know, back in the eighties, they, they didn't do a lot of making of that. They, that they shared on, um, that really wasn't a huge thing. Um, so to me, I remember uh, strongly that like watching not only the movie, but the making of it where they were destroying all the cars and how they did the effects. Um, so I thought, always thought that grabbed me too as a kid, but um, always found the movie kind of scary when I first watched it. Um, I definitely knew by the time I watched it, I knew who Carpenter was from Halloween. And obviously I knew the name Stephen King. Um I always enjoyed the picture. Um, I don't know what else to say as my initial thoughts. Cool. Without diving deeper. This was my first viewing. Which blew my mind when I saw that on social media. Yeah. I just I just thought this was one you'd saw a long time ago. Nope. First time around. No, but what's funny about that is I only own a DVD copy because Grizzly gave me his because he bought it on Blu-ray. <laughs> Still, I've got to it. I've never seen it. I yeah. was... At the same pawn shop, actually. I was at a pawn shop. I found it on DVD for a buck. And I was like, well, I've got to buy this so I can watch it. <clears throat> Two weeks later, I'm at the same pawn shop. It's on Blu-ray for $2. So I gave you the dollar DVD and kept the $2 Blu-ray. That's KT Pawn on the south side of Muncie. <laughs> Madison Street. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. I had fun with it. It's not my favorite movie of all time. But... Uh, it's it's cool. I really liked uh, its originality, so I had a good time with it. Uh, Vinny, you want to give us the little plot synopsis here? Uh, sure. You, what is it? Nineteen seventy nine. Eight. Eight is when it starts. Uh, you you're you open with this 
dorky kid, Arnie Cunningham, uh, your textbook nerd, black greasy hair, black rim glasses, clumsy, uh, and he's got a friend who's like the polar opposite, the jock, you know, popular, good looking. Uh, Arnie has a rough way, gets picked on a lot. They're coming back from their first day of school, and as they pass by, Arnie spies this what is it, a 57 Plymouth Fury? Mm-hmm. Is that the year? Yep. Uh, it's a total junker. He sees it spied in the yard for sale, and he's instantly in love with it. And uh, he buys this car. He's a, more and more becomes obsessed with this car, and more and more strange things start being affiliated with this car. It, it's being repaired rather quickly to pristine conditions. There's odd happenings in the car. Uh, Even the way he finds the car, like he's like, stop, stop. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of hidden from the road. Yeah. It just like possesses. And then the self the yeah. slayer sells yeah. it to him. Yeah. Robert's blossom. So, yeah. Uh, so it takes you through the change that Arnie makes as the movie progresses. He becomes less of a dork and starts to be more of a, he becomes beautiful by taking off the glasses and, <laughs> and removing the ponytail. Yeah, and he uh, if only he just starts. He goes from being this dorky, caring kid. He starts to get more popular, but then things start to turn a little darker. And, and for his jockey friend, who starts to become unable to be the jock and not quite as cool. Yes, and he Arnie starts to become an asshole. He starts to become mean, and he starts to become obsessed with this car. Uh, the car is destroyed by vandals and one by one these vandals are run down by arnie christine you don't know for sure including the poor man's john travolta yeah (laughs) exactly and uh so yeah that's the basic i think Uh, it's a love story between a man and his car (laughs) (laughs) and it's a love story between a man and his demon possessed in his demon possessed car which, uh, who hasn't been there? I, I, yeah, really. Honestly. I think for me, Christine kind of stands out because, uh, one, it's a Stephen King movie that doesn't feel like Stephen King. It's it's definitely Carpenter because it's, it's away from Maine. It's set in California, which is Carpenter, Carpenter music. Um, about the only thing Stephen King-ish is it's got a lot of 50s soundtrack to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the time period is uh, 78, which is when Halloween took place. I also, I like a movie that, when it was made in an era, when it comes up and it gives you the year, because I almost think that that takes away. Sometimes if you're watching a movie, you're like, man, this is really dated. Well, if it's supposed to, if it comes up like that, it already sets you up to be like a period piece. Yeah. So I think at that point, your mind checks that out. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, whatever, just roll with it. Yeah. But then, uh, this really, this movie is kind of, to me, it's a rare horror film because the central character is a guy. And, and yes, we've seen that before. But then to me, the biggest relationship in the movie is, is the two friends. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, um, which, which also, um, I just want to blank on his name, Dennis, is such a weird character because he is the popular jock, but he's like super nice and caring and protects Arnie. Um, but to me, they, they have this strong relationship and then it's kind of like watching your friend, um, I don't want to say go with the wrong crowd, but almost kind of like you see your friend and, and you kind know. Kind outgrowing. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, which I think is a fear of kids, like in high school is, is when you're close with a friend and, um, really like the, there's not a weird love triangle or anything other than with the car. Well, and I think that part of that with Dennis's character too, is that Dennis lose, you see him lose his way. Like, like the professor said, he's not the jock anymore. And not only that, he's not Arnie's protector anymore either. Like, I, I think there's that certain part of Dennis, I think gets overlooked in the movie where. He's kind of lost. Yeah. Well, and he at, at times is is almost like the victim riding with him. Mm-hmm. Kind of at, at the mercy of, of his aggressions. Whereas before he was trying to protect Arnie from those. And now Arnie's putting him in harm's way. Trader, yeah. I, I do find it weird that um, <clears throat> the movie was made for $9 million, grossed $21 million, but hated by Stephen King fans and John Carpenter fans when it came out. I think because it's, a, it's not common to either. I think it's more a John Carpenter film than a King film, but it still isn't a full-blown Carpenter film. Right. Because, if I remember correctly, his, he flopped with Starman 
and got fired off of Firestarter because of it. Which I would have been interested to see Firestarter. Jumped right into this and directed the hell out of it in a studio-friendly way without quite as much of the quirk that Carpenter films typically have. That's not really in this. Well, and, and this this movie made money, but a movie that did flop just, just right before this was The Thing, yeah. which is also amazing. So if you go yeah. by movies by... Oh, yeah. What what makes money and what does and, th- and this movie made money, but it's weird because to me, by the time it came on cable, I would have never known that people didn't like this movie. I've always thought that Christine was high on the list for everybody, till I heard people just gripe about it, and it's it's kind of confusing to me because I'm like, I guess you just don't like good movies. I'm amazed with the movie at how how much emotion they get a car to convey. Well, I think what's even more unique for this than anything is we're not going to cover many movies on this podcast that have less horror than this. Yeah. The fact that they had to throw in the F bomb because there's not before. And I want to clarify quickly and that's okay. It's an excellent movie, but this is three quarters about people. Yeah. And then, you know, the, our last quarter is delivering on the goods um, there's some very creepy moments uh, and and things that almost, you know, it's very intelligent horror in the way that it had you think more about it than it does deliver just uh, the exploits of it. So I'm not knocking it for that, but that's something that I never really thought about until this viewing. I've seen this movie probably six or seven times at least. And uh, on this viewing, I started thinking, I was like, man, this really doesn't have a lot of horror moments in it we are it's more you're because you and that's why it's good for king mm-hmm. because you care about the people that's yeah. what makes king great and why the horror is effective in his books because the majority of his books are about the characters right. not the horror and so when you build it up that's what this movie does it's just an interesting dichotomy that i don't think we're going to come across very often on the podcast and on that same vein as we talked about in the what is horror episode to me, this movie was a creature feature where the creature was a car. No, no, very much. I agree with that. I, I, I could and, relate this to Jaws. Yes. Like like where Christine even had, it's like she had her own soundtrack. and Yep. Or even like a Godzilla or a King Kong where uh-huh. like people are like, ah, is that really horror? I'm like, yeah, if a giant monkey or a giant lizard was chasing you and destroying yeah. your city, that'd be horror. That, this, is, this is horror in the fact that. If a car with no driver was yeah. on fire chasing you, that you would scene be is that scene is very creepy. And the scene that's where, my part of the movie. Oh yeah, the one that's that the as scene. a kid that got me is when Moochie is in the alley. In the alley, those is, are the two scenes. And that stand when out Christine to me. is ripping it's, her yeah, I was gonna sides say, off it's to willing get in and crush to him, kill like, itself oh to kill it. Oh my god, that always stuck with me as a mm-hmm. kid. That scene was terrifying. Is Buddy Reperton like 35 years old in this movie, by the way? That (laughs) dude in no way looks like a high school student. (laughs) And I will will say, uh, because they're they're on the remake of King films again, I think what stands out for this movie is all the practical effects and stunt work. And and I don't know that they would do that if they remade it today. And character actors. Yes. When Christine is destroyed by the vandals and reassembles herself, it would have been so much better if it was CGI. (laughs) <laughs> just right. a, just animate it right yeah no i we i think that the, they had good young talent um with keith gordon who'd already works you know with some pretty impressive stuff um notably De palma uh or was that a, was that the year after i can't remember stress to kill 80 anyways yeah he, he had a decent resume uh for the for the young actors on there he was by far the most accomplished but then you sprinkle in all these great character actors that make such a huge difference to that movie the scene with uh Robert's Blossom selling the car is drastically better because he's in it yeah. Prosky running the garage yes. is better because he's there yeah. yeah um Harry Dean Stanton as the detective makes that movie better and, and that's what elevates it, I think. I think it might have been a little flat and felt like a failed teen comedy almost. Or not comedy, teen uh, horror. Right. In the sense, if we didn't have uh, all of the little bits filled in, in in such strong ways with everyone across the board. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, Carpenter directed the hell out of mm-hmm. this movie. He didn't miss a beat on anything. The two questions I get left with this movie is, number one, what was Moochie doing hopping out of the cab of a semi I w- in the middle that. of the night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of wondering what that was uh, all about. Is he a lot lizard? No. <laughs> and uh, secondly, 
why does Buddy Repperton just run down the pave, middle of the paved road when Flaming Christine is chasing him? <laughs> Probably the same reason he's in his eighth <laughs> senior year. <laughs> why are you not cutting off the road and yeah. running other places? But yeah, that's nitpicking. But I love I I still this movie has lost nothing for me. Like up, upon this latest viewing from the one before it. I think it's completely solid, and I, I would even venture to say it's timeless because it deals with periods when you're dealing with the, the late 50s, you're dealing with the late 70s. I think it I think that helps it kind of stay in a time capsule. I don't think it feels as dated. Yeah, man. I'll say another scene that to me stands out is, uh, is when he stands up to his parents – Oh um, yeah, which is straight out of Rebel Without a Cause, like down to even that he was wearing the the, the red, red jacket. Yeah, that's a good point. When um, his dad grabs him by the shoulders yeah. and he snatches him up by his throat, um, I was like, "Hold up, you little jerk! That's your dad." <laughs> so I don't. I, to, to me, it's to me, it's like just a, a coming of age movie, but then it's thrown in with the weird thing with the car and a lot of unanswered. Um, I still have yet to read the book, but I know the book has. Um, that there's like a uh, the book is fantastic. So the book has like a, a I don't the guy that a killed himself guy. is sitting in the back seat, egging him on, and, and, and kind of dictating they, they him. They dig more into Arnie's becoming possessed by the guy who owned the car previously. Which, which he looks possessed by the end of the movie. Yes, but um, you know, 1983. This is right after American Werewolf in London, so they they axed all that. Um, I don't know. I forgot what I was saying. I got so distracted. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Uh, last thought. Um, just even love the, the opening with bad to the bone playing mm-hmm. and the hood slams shut and cuts that guy's hand off. <laughs> By the way, I was watching a special feature where they showed that uh, George Thorogood was in a scene and it was so bad that they cut it <laughs> in the junkyard at the end. Yeah, much like most of his music. Yeah. Uh, it's got a great ending too, I think. Yeah. yeah, and I'm I'm shocked that no one's ever tried. I to was up a just getting ready. Yeah, because you could easily, easily. make it because it's That's a car. What, if they said a remake, I would be pissed about a remake. But if they were going to take and do a serious sequel, I'd be on board. I'd give it a look. I did a uh, kind of look up some uh, that I'd never seen before. That Kevin Bacon was originally uh, offered the movie, but chose Footloose instead. Oh wow! Um, and that Scott Bayo and Brooke Shields were also like. Ugh. Which uh, I think that would have um, lost the movie for me, yeah. and that uh, Nick, Speak for Nick yourself. Cage and John Nick Cage and John Cusack also auditioned for this movie and just didn't get it. Um, I don't know. To me, this movie stands up pretty strong. It's it's definitely yeah. one of my favorite. Uh, Carpenter and Stephen King. I really wish that um, Carpenter would have got to do Firestarter. I'm, I would have been interested to see what he would have done with it. Firestarter's never been a movie that's ever really stood out to me, to be yeah. honest. All right. Wrapping up, Christine. Any uh, final thoughts? Two thumbs way up. Yeah. Good one. Good one. <laughs> Recommend this to anybody. Yeah. Faux show. Must watch. Must watch. I actually would shame people if I knew they didn't watch this. So. Well, I'm glad I remedied that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing you've uh, been quiet all these years. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving on to my pick. Madman. 1981. Directed by... Joe Gio G- Giannoni. Is it Gian- Giannani? Giannoni? Stefani. Yeah, Stefani. Giovanni. Uh, starring Galen Ross from Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Tony Fish, Harriet Bass. He's Seth making these Jones, names up. Jan Clare, Alex Murphy, Tom Candela, and most importantly, Paul Ellers as Madman Mars. Wasn't that the drummer for Motley Crue? Yeah, man. He only has one arm. Sweet. <laughs> oh, that's Def Leppard. My bad. Hot-potching the shit out of this. Ain't hey, nothing but a good time. <laughs> All right. So, um, initial thoughts on Madman, Professor? Uh, I think this was my third viewing of this film. I'd watched a rough copy and then bought uh, Vinegar Syndrome's Blu-ray when it came out. Uh, it was either their first film or one of their first. That's kind of what enlighten me to their label um it's it's just kind of standard 80s yeah. slasher fare i mean it's fun enough like i don't love it but i certainly by any means don't dislike it it's 
it's just fun when you're in the mood. It, yep. Especially push it up more towards Halloween. Throw that yeah. in there. Yeah. Venomous. Uh, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I think you hit it. Uh, it's pretty standard fare, like generic slasher, I think. Um, strangely enough, uh, I was thinking one day last week, and I posted on uh, Facebook, I was thinking about The Exorcist and the mark that it left on the 70s, and everybody, oh, man, it was the scariest movie ever for a long time. So I posed the question, what 80s movie do you think was the scariest? And there were one or two people who had Madman as really? their answer. No kidding. Yes. I didn't see that. I mean, I could see this, though. If you're like six years old and this is one of the first horror yes. movies you see, you yeah. stumble upon it on TV, this would be scary as hell. Sure. I can see that. Sure. Pet Cemetery for me, by the way. Yeah. In terms of actually existing in the 80s, like that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> um, you know, I got to think that Madman, we said this before on like uh, Chud 2. Like, obviously, we love Sleepaway Camp. People who didn't watch it, you know, sometime in their teens or 20s probably hate Sleepaway Camp. But like, Madman has got to be somebody's Sleepaway Camp or somebody's Chud 2. You know what I mean? Like it's just like their campy film, but th- but this would probably be scarier than those two for sure. Toddy, initial impression. Um, so I, I picked up the Blu-ray a couple years ago. This is, I think, the second time I watched it. Um, so I I never watched it as a kid. I think it's I think it's a fun movie. I kind of agree with the professor. It's not um, if I was gonna say a a, a summer camp movie that. To, to watch that's not Friday the 13th or Sleepaway, I'd probably pick The Burning. Right. Um, but this is a, I will say this is a fun movie, and there are moments where it's it's definitely kind of kind of spooky or eerie, I guess. Um, but I think it's a fun movie. I would watch it again. Yeah. Um, it's fun. Good, t- good times. My first time, I watched it because uh, Paul Ellers was on an episode of uh, Shockwave's previous podcast that was known as uh, Killer POV. And it was a fun interview with him and talking about the movie. And I said, I really should check out Mad Man. And so this is the first time for me. And same thing. I thought it was fun. Not great. Uh, but definitely not terrible or even among the worst that I've seen. It's just, as you said, standard schlock slasher sort of stuff. They should have never showed a close-up. No. <laughs> it's it's scary from a distance. If they would have just left it that way. Yeah. I think it, it would be remembered oh, yeah, like the highly. I don't think you need to show him as much at all. Like the, the scene where he hangs uh, the guy in the tree, like the guy's eyes are all rolled back and stuff. I thought that was pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, It's got some good moments for sure. But then it's got really, really dumb characters. I thought it had a great opening graphic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically the gist, the plot is um, summer camp next to a house. Wait, wait. Don't they aren't they camping in November? Isn't there a reference of Thanksgiving? They're closing the summer camp in November. <laughs> it's like the thing, and they're going to go home. Um, These are the real backwoods where we don't have school schedules. Yes, right. And so there's a house near the summer camp that they say is is uh, not even haunted, like protected by this madman, Madman Mars, who uh, killed his family. Um. I don't remember the whole story because I don't remember the whole song, but they sing the whole song around a campfire at the beginning of the movie, yes, they did. which was awesome. And uh, we need more songs sung around campfires that are the plot for the whole film. <laughs> um, so basically they're like, Oh, you know, don't, uh, don't disturb Madman Mars or he'll come get you. And of, of course, some jerk off kid is like, oh, I'm going to throw rocks at his house. Hey, Madman Mars, you're an idiot. And they're like, nah, I wouldn't do that. Well, you just fucked up, kid. He shouldn't have done it <laughs> because Madman Mars came for all of them. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So uh, that's kind of the gist. I feel like uh, this definitely uh, like Hatchet and other films. There's definitely uh... my note is is this Victor Crawley's grandpa? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it very much felt like that. Um. I do love that the one kid is just kind of like lost at the house the whole entire movie. Yeah, where all the, the and the, all the counselors are kind of worried about banging each other. That uh, I don't think they even noticed that he's gone. Yeah, 
You want to chime in here, Professori? <laughs> um, Did anyone do this book report? <laughs> no, I I think that uh, it it remains relatively restrained for an eighty slasher, um, basically throughout, um, and and even keeps it fairly grim. They don't rely on um as much of the common things that movies from that era did it's not like just a boob fest the whole time and hardcore partying and i mean you've got some of those box checked but it's it's really you know for for you know in fairness to lumping it in with the parade of 80 slashers this this really is pretty restrained um it's it's got a fairly minimal score to it um you know, it's just it's just its own movie. It almost feels, uh, you know, like somebody who didn't watch slashers at all just wanted to make a, a horror movie that would fit in okay yeah. because it just doesn't carry the same elements, and that's not a bad thing. It's actually refreshing because, as we all know, I mean, there are dozens upon dozens of eighty slasher movies that you can watch and have all those same things, you know, get fulfilled in each film. Whereas this. Um, it almost seems to teeter more into uh, folklore and atmosphere more than it does partying in a good time. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I, I think that, you know, there are some really drawn out suspenseful segments in this film. And you typically, you'll get a little bit of that in slashers, uh, but not like this. Especially the scene with Galen Ross uh, in, our, in our final showdown she's walking through that house that's just nuts there's no music it goes on for a bit yeah with the things that only the viewer can see with both uh our our killer and her in frame it's um it's it's unique in that regard and um i would argue at point at some point they go from being suspenseful though to being boring because they've drawn it out for so long that's very, yeah that's subjective that's but i i yeah certainly I really like the soundtrack. It's another uh, kind of fun synth pop sort of soundtrack. I really enjoyed that and the sound effects. Uh, What's up with Madman's noises? (laughs) I don't know about all that. (laughs) (laughs) I I'll say this for as many of the the stereotypical horror tropes as you end up with with this movie, like the slasher tropes. I thought I had the ending figured out, and I was completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that uh, Galen Ross's character for a change does exactly what you want them to do, right? Which is get those damn kids out on the bus and out of there. Yeah. Now, do we need her to necessarily go back in and deal with this? I don't know about all that, but she gets the kids on there and out of there, and it made me think a lot of uh, Friday Part Six mm-hmm. and our you yes. know, having to tend to the kids out here in this just. It almost feels like you're on the moon at this point, this terrifying moment with a killer out here at this campground and trying to get these kids out of here in a colder setting. It just it reminded me a lot of, of what they would go on to do in Friday 6. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and and all the way up to the ending, which that still always kind of half surprises me because it's just kind of bleak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, other high spots in the film, uh, I love when they show off his brute strength. Because he can pull that axe out of the stone. Yeah. After no two dudes could. have been trying to. Um, I mean, there's great kills in this movie. The mm-hmm. head decapitation, the meat hook. Um, I mean, it. And they don't, but they don't go with excessive gore. No. That's what I think's interesting. Yeah. Like, it's just enough to make you go, oh shit. And then yeah. it's gone. I think it's there's like a that. few scenes at the beginning, like where, where the very beginning when he's in the tree and only the kid is like, he almost looks like a shadow in the tree. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about how weird the hot tub spinning is, though? I was going to put the, the hot... My, my note yeah. is hot tub synchronized You guys don't swimming. do that? Yeah. And did Galen Ross have something in her contract where she would do uh, nude breasts, but only for two seconds? Just like, just, I noticed yeah. that in Dawn of the Dead, too, because I just watched that recently, and it's just like, the, it just seems so unnecessary. It's like, yeah, I'll do it for two seconds. Yeah, she's like, I have to do it, but I'll only do it for two seconds. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, then, why, why are you... We don't need to see them. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, lady. You're doing a good job. Yeah, we don't you're need a this. good actress. Keep we don't your top on. Yeah, because we have we make a point to show her getting down into the hot tub, but then we keep her underwater, and they circle around each other. Oh, that's weird. Weirdest. Yeah. Weirdest mating the, ritual yeah. I've ever seen. Dude, oh, they would have cut that out of Death Spa. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, of course, at the end, you get the uh, the final Madman Mars. He's real. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought for sure it was going to be the guy who's telling the story at the beginning. The one who looks like old boy from uh, Parks and Rec. <laughs> I thought for sure that We're that like, guy was because thought... he wasn't there. You know, he was gone, and I thought for sure it was going to end up being him. And then, uh, spoiler alert, it shocked me that it wasn't. It was actually a killer. Yeah. I was expecting them to pull the the mask off, mm-hmm. and an old man to be like, "Can I would have got away with it?" <laughs> All right. So, any final thoughts about Madman and Madman Mars? Don't say his name three just, times. Just that ending. That's just, uh, I, I it always, I, I remember it, but it's still, it always kind of just makes me go, damn. We take the good girl, throw up on a hook, and then he flees. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Yeah. That's cool, though. Yeah. We watch movies because we don't know the ending. Uh, I wouldn't recommend this to the passive uh, fan, but to the hardcore fan, you got to watch Batman. I would agree. Got to watch That's Batman. That's fair. Uh, you got to see his hobbit feet. <laughs> <laughs> Some toenails, boy. (laughs) Here's noises. All right. Round and third and heading home. We are moving into Hail Night. Professor, tell us about Hail Night. Uh, Hail Night, also from 1981, was directed by Tom DeSimone. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Simone. He typically uh, dealt with more exploitation films. I'd say the two... Other ones that he's probably best known for, maybe I'm missing one here, but was uh, Reformed Schoolgirls and Savage Streets, also with Linda Blair. Yep. Uh, some um, of my favorites were Bye Bye Love, Bye Coaster, Wet Shorts, and The Gay Guide to Hawaii. Also those. <laughs> um, among the familiar faces in this film, which is just a couple, Linda Blair, obviously, we know, and then uh, Peter Barton, who you might recognize from Friday Part 4. Uh, who was a pretty good young actor <laughs> back then in those. <laughs> you, uh, what we say? Oh, he's over here purring at him. <laughs> Meow. Um, so the setup for Hell Knight is pretty basic, pretty classic, but that's why I picked it. I like that this kind of combines eras it, it, with the haunted house, but the slasher kind of. Uh, it's an 80s film, but really it feels like an early 70s film. Yeah. There's just a whole lot of bending going on uh, with concepts and what was popular at the time, but them instead kind of making their own just fun movie, which I think it delivers on. Um, initial thoughts before we give the the quick rundown of what, what we're dealing with here? I had never seen it. I didn't even know about it, to be honest with you. I had never even heard of it. Um, we I watched it over here. Uh, I liked it. I liked it better than uh, liked it better than Madman. Get out. <laughs> uh, I did. I liked it better than Madman. Uh, yeah, like you say, it was that blend of uh the haunted house movie with the slasher movie. Um, I thought it had some great kills. Great kills. Um, yeah, I liked it as a whole. I liked it. Um, I thought I'd seen this movie early on. Um, I think I'm thinking of another movie. Uh, but I bought the Blu-ray a while back. It's like the second or third time I watched it now. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, kind of puts me to mind of Terror Train. I don't know if it's just because of the time period, but instead of a train, it's it's a haunted house. But same way, it's the slasher premise with a kind of like a little bit of like William Castle type of movie, I guess. Um, and then it's, it's kind of, a it's kind of a little, it's got a lot of, uh, stereotypical like pranksters and stuff like that. But then like, um, I think having like Linda Blair as the lead, um, I don't know. There's a lot of differences to it, I guess, than some of the other movies that came out at the same time period. So I enjoy it. Grizz. My first time. Um, I was very glad that you picked it because I've seen the cover art lot and in fact did scream factory put this out mm-hmm. okay so and even even there their their new updated uh cover art um so seen a lot of the poster art thought it looked cool seen a lot of promo stills of linda blair um because i mean besides exorcist this is usually the only other promo shots they use pictures ever from um so uh i was looking forward to watching it and i enjoyed it and 
I know I gave Benny a hard time, but yeah, it's probably better than that, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of those ones where I feel like if you go in trying to tell people how great it is, they'll be disappointed. Yeah. But to me, there's there. I've always thought of this along with a movie called Alone in the Dark as a couple of gems from the early 80s that needed a better release. So I was very excited that Scream Factory put this out. I had like an old muddy DVD of it. I'd only watched it once before. And I had the Blu-ray, but I hadn't watched the new restoration and their release of it. So that's why I picked it for this one. And I thought with our kind of taste of many of us uh, liking to dabble back into older horror, that there might be some elements there where even if it didn't scare you or you love it, it would at least be an, an enjoyable watch. I like the fact that I didn't know a thing about it before I went into it. Yeah. Um, so I think the the restoration was pretty impressive. I think they had quite a few hurdles. I noticed... Uh, some scanning issues while you're watching it where you could tell that they had a tough time, but they made it work and got it out. So, um, which is good because I think it has a, a pretty decent little cult following. Cause again, it's just, it's kind of its own little thing. It's got some charm to it. Um, the basic premise for it, hell night is referring to a Greek initiation night, uh, ritual that they do with new pledges where they have to go stay in the Garth Manor. Um, we give a rundown at the Owned beginning. By Garth Brooks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that threw me off. Um, Chris Gaines Coner. Um, they go over at the beginning. The president, uh, Peter, president, um, gives a rundown of what happened in the mansion twelve years before, uh, where Raymond Garth basically lost it. Uh, strangled his wife and killed his three deformed children, and then say it. <laughs> which part? Well, the children was what word? Nope. Um, <laughs> and then he hanged himself. Uh, they did not find the body of the youngest child, Andrew. Um, and we are led to believe, with the uh, kind of open door left for that, that hey, there's a good chance Andrew might still be around if and we're going to sit here was for him. A... <laughs> So, um, <laughs> we wondered, did, did this child witness these murders, and is he still living there, or was he in fact killed? And then, as you would imagine, we take our four pledges in, uh, Marty, Jeff, Seth, and Denise, and we've got a hell night ahead. We've got a hell night. Would you say that Andrew would eat at the Mongolian Grill? <laughs> He's a mon- <laughs> he was a mongoloid. God damn it. There you go. <laughs> The word's growing on me. Oh, <laughs> the word's growing on me. Um, so, yeah, I like the whole thing. I like the setup. Um, Remind me a little bit of Night of the Demons. Yep. Even though it wasn't an initiation yeah. thing, but they were partying in a haunted house. I like the know? comparison, too, to Terror Train. I hadn't really thought about that. But the minute you said it, I was like, yeah, I can see that with the kind of the Greek party vibe. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, I like that the house was rigged, you know, as mm-hmm. I think Toddy said it was like kind of that William Castle sort of thing, you know. Which they, is also perfect, too, for the device of when they discover that it's rigged, then suddenly they don't believe everything. Yeah. And then they get those shit moments where it's like, oh, there's more than what they were trying to do. Yeah. Which makes it fun for the viewer. Absolutely. I will Absolutely. say, really, the only flaw for me with this film and honestly it kind of went hand in hand with most of the movies we covered on this it's just a little too long oh god this that's it, my notes. yes i i felt like we were really getting someplace i was like man this movie and then it hits a wall yeah i think it runs about 30 minutes too long well that yeah that would make it an hour and 10 minutes like i say <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 101 minutes on this, Deep Star 6, 105 minutes, Christine Hour, and 50 minutes. These are some exceptionally long horror yes. movies for what we typically cover in the 85-minute range. After 80 minutes, you have to earn. Really. Yeah, so that that would be my one complaint with the pacing. We maybe had a little fat on this one we could have trimmed off. Um, my absolute favorite scene in the movie that I always think of from the first time I watched this is the carpet rising up. I That was one of my notes. That That's is great. a very cool scene. It's funny because Vinny and Kara and I watched this together and we were so invested in like the first 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then by like the 55 minute mark, you can look and we're all kind of like checking our phone. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, it just plateaued it all, yeah. so hard. Um, in fairness, though, it does come back around and give some goods I, there. Too. I, I enjoyed yeah, that. The second act is very weak. I, I enjoyed though that there are twists for it being a horror film. 
So the fact that Seth not only survived, like he doesn't die first, he makes it out, makes it over the fence without I ripping his nuts off. very yeah. nervous. My notes say, be nervous. Makes it to the police line. station for help. Yeah. And then, because no one helps him, has to make it all the way back to the castle. After he Which if that guy, if steals, the old dude wouldn't have been an asshole and stood upstairs and watched Linda Blair go down for the gun, they probably could have ended the movie earlier. <laughs> but I love, too, that at the, the police station, he steals guns from the evidence room for just the shotgun. You could do that. Yeah. Yeah, they just leave the door wide open. <laughs> Some great kills. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is another one that didn't overdo them. Like yep. you just saw it happen, and then you're like, "Oh, yep, man, good editing." That was yeah, great editing. That decapitation, that neck breaking. Um, yeah, all in all, like solid effects and solid kills. Mm-hmm. I thought. So things things uh, when I watched this, like just probably the first couple times I didn't notice, but watching the credits, I didn't realize that uh, Frank Darabont was. Oh. Production assistant in this movie. That's cool. Cool. Um, Chuck Russell produced it. Um, yeah, so we're coming from that whole world. Er- Erw- Erwin Yoblins, or whatever you say his name, I knew was familiar. I had to look it up, but he uh, owned, co-owned Compass International Pictures. This is the last movie that, that that company put out, which also put out Halloween. That sounded like a yummy side dish. It is. It's delicious. Awesome Erwin Yoblins so, uh, to go with that. And they produced Halloween, like, one, two, three, Fade to Black, Parasite, Prison, um, so they had a fun little string of horror films from that time period. Good times. Right on. Uh, some of my last notes here were at one point, Linda Blair was running around doing something and Vinny and Carrie and I go, did she just like take her bra off and cut her dress lower? <laughs> like something happened. Like, yeah. Some, yeah happened, look, man, some, some point during the film, more cleavage happened and it was like, I'm very uncomfortable with her running It's like around there's like a that. period from like 77 to 83 where everything with her is just uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you're just like, man, you're the, and you're that little kid from The Exorcist. Yeah. Now you got them big old things that's, jumping that's around. That's how I felt the first time I saw Drew Barrymore's boobs. I was like, man, that's Gertie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not cool, though. Yeah. When Not she was cool. Gertie, though, she was doing cocaine. <laughs> Reckon I'd like to. Um, I, I do like that Linda Blair, that is, uh, Linda Blair is almost like Velma in this picture. Yeah. Yeah, she was good. Like, and her dad owned a what on a mechanic shop. But um, so I feel like this movie was also sold on her name. And let's be honest, and I don't care because whatever, she's the worst actress in this picture. By like, she's got some rough moments. She's yeah. very, uh, very bad. Um, sorry, <laughs> Ty got that shovel out, boy. That's right. The you year of hate. Two thousand eighteen, May two thousand twelve. You're be nicer when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Blair and Joey Lawrence coming after me and Todd after listening to this podcast. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Um, spoiler, two killers. Yeah. Yeah. Two killers. Still don't fully wrap my mind around all that. But at I, that point, I you don't, don't need to you don't need to question it too much. <laughs> yeah. Um and I we, just keep yelling, is that Raymond? We said one. <laughs> So uh, Vinny and I said one of them looked like uh, Chop Top from Chainsaw Two if he was Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I did uh, like uh, I did like the where she rams the gate and it comes down enough mm-hmm. to where she impels him through it. Yeah, oh, that, was that was such a, cool a great. Kill. I I love the last scene yeah. because it comes back and it's like and I think they knew we're they not going to end on a on a fun popcorn way. We're going to have this girl her, like, leaving or escaping. I think they knew it had ran long. Yeah, time. we're. We're going to have this girl wake up from being knocked unconscious with the sun coming out disoriented and have her crawl out of this car with no music playing and a body impaled hanging yeah. on the car with the blood that has dripped down all over the back of the, the trunk there. It's it's a it's a pretty impressive last little, little shot is. there. And it's cool, too, because much of the film makes you rely on your imagination. And I think, I think that's where part of the attraction of this comes for me is there's so many things they go back to old horror movies in this without them saying, love old horror movies. It's still a horror movie from 1981, but it pulls some subtle things from it. And that being one of them with just, you know, we're going to leave a lot of it to your imagination. We're not yeah. going to overdo it. And then just getting in a lot of the, 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 you know, the Gothic horror elements. And I love the, the underground tunnels we've got where we, we go discover all the bodies that they've got down there and walking around with the candlesticks and, mm-hmm. and the outfits that we've got because it's pledge night and you have to stay there. It's just, they've got all these things that fit so 
perfectly without you know being too much yeah and i think that's what makes it such a fun watch like this is just a great friday night movie yeah for sure well i think it's fun i think if you're a fan of the genre it's definitely worth checking yes props to scream factory for getting a good release out yeah. they needed it yeah all right anything more to say on hell night good hell no <laughs> hell no um all right wrapping up another installment of the monster mash i'm one of your hosts grizzly abner and i'm joined by professor wagstaff venomous Vinny, hot toddy stay scary my friends